It is Wednesday, February 16th, and you are listening to Run That Back. I am Scott Bunn. And I am Tom Chalmers, and this is your Indie Sports Radio. Tom, we're living in a post-football world. We are. At least for um, five days, maybe before we start talking about like NFL free agency and stuff like that. All those things. <laughs> but for the moment, I am fat and happy. <laughs> yes, I know. I, I'm feeling a little... little little overweight, like literally from the football, or figuratively from the football, and then just literally, I ate a lot this weekend. How could you not? How could you not? Um, That is the uh, disadvantage of having smaller gatherings, is you still make a decent amount of food, and you're like, oh, usually there's like six or eight people that would help me put that away. (laughs) Well, somebody's going to eat all of this. I guess I'm going to have to step up. (laughs) I made sweet, sweet love to a tray of nachos, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Uh, yeah, so uh, we'll be talking about um, the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. um, saying goodbye to the 2021-2022 NFL season. Um, we're going to be uh, talking about some other NFL news off the field stuff, uh, and then some NBA trade deadline, which we always enjoy. That was last week. As we will be talking with one of our favorite guests, yep. Gary Leonard will be calling in and, uh, and checking in on all things sports. Always the best. But let's talk about this Super Bowl. This Super Bowl, which, as we often say, we see sports as sort of our, our favorite show. And uh, it was a good season. Yeah. This, this was a good season. Yeah, and, it was a good season. Um, the finale was pretty good. Yes. I would say. Um, so I'll, I'll temper this. Uh, the... The best part of it for me was uh, getting to watch uh, the Super Bowl with my sister, Libby, who came over from uh, Germany mm-hmm. with her husband, my brother-in-law, Pear. Um, so that was great. Yes. And they were so excited to get to watch the Super Bowl at like a normal time. <laughs> Usually they're staying up till 1230. And you have to set the alarm or anything. Oh, yeah. And also <laughs> to like call, like call in sick or take right. the next day off. So like... Getting to watch with them was mm, really was great. great, but you know we had a big weekend of lots of eating, lots mm-hmm. of drinking. So I admit, halfway through the third um, third quarter of that Super Bowl, uh, Pear took a video and Libby was asleep and I was asleep. <laughs> but I, I rallied, I rallied, Good. and I I don't think I missed anything. Like it was basically the same score when I woke up. Gotcha. Um, that game, for whatever it means, did play out as I had dared to predict, which mm-hmm. is I did think the Rams would uh, go up. I, did, mm-hmm. I thought that the Bengals would have uh, a comeback. And I thought that, uh, as we saw uh, in the uh, Buccaneers game, that Matt Stafford would have a good closing drive. Right. Um, and that that is what happened. So I, I got to, whatever that means, feel good about that. Because... Um, yeah, I thought, uh, th- I don't know that these were great teams. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, parts of the Rams are great. Mm-hmm. They do have pockets of greatness on the defense um, and, yeah. and some outstanding offensive players. But uh, you know, we saw them sort of uh, again, blow a late lead to the 49ers yeah. and, and to the Buccaneers and things. Um, and uh, as I said to you when I saw you on Saturday, it's like oh, the Bengals were a great story and all that kind of stuff. But you're like, how'd they get here? Like, yeah. Should have been the Bills. Yeah. Well, there is that. Uh, but I think there was, I don't think it was so much for the Bengals like we're just happy to be here. Oh, no. Um, because I think the other thing that Bengals fans were probably like, it all lined up for us. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like we didn't have to play the Bills in Buffalo. We were able to connect, you know, catch 
you know, whatever happened to the Chiefs mm-hmm. in that second half of that game, you know, granted, you know, all credit to Cincinnati for helping make that mm-hmm. happen. And then also, like, a, a Rams team that, you know, that wasn't like, oh, this is one of the most dominant teams mm-hmm. we've seen in years. It was just kind of like, uh, yeah, they're good and they have good players, but flawed. I, and also, especially with Odell Beckham Jr. going down in the game, like, he was awesome mm-hmm. in the first quarter. Like, yeah. as good as I remember seeing him in his career, you he know. He felt he was on the way to an MVP. Yeah. yeah, and he was great. And so then when, like, he goes out and you're kind of like, it's sitting there, Cincinnati. Like, you can steal the Super Bowl, right. you know. And that was kind of the mentality. Uh, like, you see that a lot when Tom Brady is, is um, you know, operating with players he doesn't know as well mm-hmm. and everything, and things just aren't going to happen. So you saw that with, like, oh, they're just totally like, not giving Cooper Cup any space. And others yeah. say, yeah, go ahead and try to beat us by throwing to your third string tight end or otherwise right. there was a stretch where like oh this office is, is, is sputtering mm-hmm. um but uh they, they did adjust enough uh by the end to yeah have a very impressive drive yeah and um and so yeah just a couple of things about the game before we sort of look at the season at mm-hmm. large um so yeah uh joe burrow he was pressured 43% of his mm-hmm. passes. I mean, it speaks to Burrow that he had a good game with that, but he also got hurt late. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that stuff just like it's hard to do that over a stretch of games. And I think he's by far the most sack quarterback ever, like in a single NFL playoff run. Um, yeah. And so I think. And that's one of the strengths of the Rams. And yeah, and we saw that like in the last drive where Aaron Donald is like, yeah, you're not making this first down. You're really not making this first down. Uh, when a game ends, you know, we we look to the the end of the, the Seahawks Patriots Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. We're like, how can you not just give it to Marshall? You know, mm-hmm. you think when it comes to like, all right, we need a big play. Uh, I don't know about the, the choice to kind of go to your like third running back in yeah. that moment. Like, I'm not saying that Joe Mixon is unstoppable, but mm-hmm. he he does have a little bit of like, and he had um, made some plays. You in can't the catch game. me, yeah. quality to him. So that third and one, and you go to the guy again. If Aaron Donald doesn't some like superhuman reach over, right. kind of like no, yes, um, that it's a first down, and we we'll yeah. say what a smart call. No You're one expected right. that guy, right? Um, but that's just hard to like. Mm. So yeah. you kind of you know Super Bowl on the line, and you don't go to you know the, the star running back. You go to sort of his. His, his backup's backup kind of thing. Um, but it's always hard to like point to a particular play. I do think the better team won, and I think when they needed yeah. to uh, have the impressive drive, they let their stars shine, which was Stafford and Cooper Cup. And like, yeah, okay, Cooper Cup. we're going to just keep working some advantage. And uh, you know, can 15 play drive, I think it was. Yeah. Um, so again, uh, ex- you know, as was true, uh, other than the first round of the, the playoffs, just about every game ended with, you know, a, a field goal at the end or a yeah. final drive or an overtime or otherwise. So hooray for all that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing was the, um, oh, yeah, I, I don't know if you saw it, but one of those, uh, like that really big throw to Cooper Cup on mm-hmm. that final drive um, by the Rams where Stafford not only looked off the safety, mm-hmm. Jesse Bates, but he threw a no-look pass. And it wasn't in like a, Mahomes kind of like Steph Curry like mm-hmm. trick shot like ooh look at uh, it was actually like 
tactical. Like you needed to do that to look off the safety. Scott, you've stood in a field and yes. run the Nerf football. It's what I practice I every single time I touch the football. I know. But look off the safety, no look through. No look through. <laughs> but then it was also like you didn't really sort of catch it on right, yeah. the like normal thing. It was only in the replays and it was on Twitter ad nauseum. And it was kind of like, the, I, I actually saw this this morning, that one slam dunk contest where the guy like lit the candle mm-hmm. of the cupcake and, and he blew, blew out the yeah. candle. <laughs> where like, you didn't really know what right. he did. Like, he just went up and jammed it and you're like, okay. Let's go what? to the backboard cam. Yeah, and then you do that and you're like, <laughs> he blew out the candle. Yeah. Like, ah. I, I, same kind of thing with the Stafford, only in like real game action, not a slam dunk contest. Uh no, he was impressive. Yeah, I keep comparing to Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady will throw interceptions. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. interceptions are not always a sign of what are you doing, right? Um, so when you take a chance, it's in the end zone. But it was, you know, again, it's basically like a punt. You know, so uh, he will throw some uh, interceptions. But when he needed to be fantastic, he was. Yeah, and that situation of like, okay, we're bringing you over. Well, everyone says you're so good, but you're mm-hmm. buried on a bad team. Well, let's see. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really pretty good. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting. So yes. Uh, thanks yeah, to Jeff they, Thomason for coming out with us last week right. and congrats on her Super Bowl in law. Um, <laughs> yes. uh, I thought it was interesting that in terms of a TV markets, obviously uh, Cincinnati was the biggest, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, market watching, but Detroit was the second. Yeah. Um, as they were like, all right, we're, <laughs> we're rooting for you. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it comes down to it. They don't win without Stafford. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're not in that position. To, they're not in the Super Bowl. Uh, they don't have you know such a good record throughout the year. And yeah, they don't win the Super Bowl with, without Stafford if it's not another guy of that quality or more. So yeah, kudos to them. But it is kind of like, yeah, we had the Rams and Bengals. You know, like, oh, okay. Um, uh, but I think the... Uh extracurriculars of the Super Bowl were pretty good. I thought there was mm-hmm. a lot of good commercials this year. Good commercials. Uh, so, so that was fun for those who are just sort of watching. Yeah. Uh, a lot of opinions about the Super Bowl uh, halftime show. I loved which, it. Which I had a good time with. That This is my music. Yeah. You know, yes. Like, um, so uh, hooray for all that. And uh, I thought that Super Bowl halftime show was great. Mm-hmm. Like um, maybe second to Prince in what I can sure. remember. Uh, I, I uh, qualified with, it with, with people is sure, something too. Yeah. That it might not necessarily have been the best Super Bowl halftime performance. Mm. There's a lot of just kind of standing and, mm-hmm. and kind of rapping, and you know. Uh, whereas, yeah, I mean, Prince is like playing guitar mm-hmm. and just you know emoting and and just giving it everything. Um, but I really liked how it was put together. I sure. wish they had spent a little bit more time letting people know. Just so you know, everyone who's on stage. Uh, their music was touched by Dr. Dre. Right. You know, like, this is not just like some people we like. Like, right. this is all. Um, so, you know, there's yeah. Quincy Jones, yeah. there's um, Niall Rogers, yes, and then there's right. Dr. Dre. Like, right. I, I wish there was a, a little bit more understanding of, like, he's just not a pretty good rapper. Yeah. Um, at, you know, from, from a time that we all like. He had a touch uh, on so much of that music. Totally. Like, I wish we appreciated that a little bit more. That's great. But, you know, I can watch Snoop do anything, yes. you know, and we had. Uh, just so smooth. We had 50 Cent hanging upside down like a vampire. Um, you know, and then, you know, Lose Yourself is great, mm-hmm. and Eminem performed the crap out of it, I thought. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I thought it was really fun. I was like, this is terrific. Yeah. Um, so I'm the one who's advocating for let, let's, you know, let's put together a lineup. Uh, yeah. The one thing that is true of that, you do come away going like, 
Eminem gets one song? Yeah, I know. One song? I know. Like, we don't get another. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, my wife was like, more Eminem. I know. I, I don't disagree. Yeah. And I was like, I-, I could use real Slim Shady. I exactly. love that song. Yeah. Mary J. Blige was, was fantastic. Yeah. I thought she, you know, and uh, she and Kendrick did a little bit more of the performance dancing yeah. and, and choreography and all that kind of stuff. And then all the surroundings, every time you look, there's like somebody like crazy kicking and dancing yeah. after a while. I was like, oh my God. Like, yeah. Enough already. Or the <laughs> like they each have their own room and yes. then there's the truck, uh, the cars <laughs> out front bouncing. That was great. I, I also, like dr dre playing the piano sweet that was yeah. great yeah uh, quincy so, jones-esque yes, yes. uh so yeah um it, it, yeah it was all a good super bowl and then yeah we're we're done with the season as you said like um you know a really good playoffs mm-hmm. you know dramatic playoffs um lots of unexpected things but i did hear that from people that were kind of like yeah the 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 game of the season was the Bills Chiefs game mm-hmm. from a from a few weeks ago, and and yeah, that's both heartening and disheartening at sure. the same time to be a part of that. Uh, I have to admit, I kept on it. So uh, I thought uh, our friend Josh Batnor said a great description of mm. Sean McVay is mm. as the guy who's always uh, wondering where the after party is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I get him just pacing back and forth, and I was like, oh my god, he really he continues to be that. Yeah, um, but I. Uh, I was thinking, uh, so uh, I'm a Manchester City fan to jump mm-hmm. over to um, a, a soccer, um, but uh, again, super smart coach kind of gets in his way mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. For, the, for the big games, yeah. and I was worried that McVay was going to do that again, Yeah. sometimes you're like, where's all those things you're so known for? Yeah. Um, and they did sort of fall away, mm-hmm. again, I'm sure it was adjusting to, boy, this is a lot easier when you have uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Right. Uh, running, but he did find some of that flair in kind of the, the second half of the fourth quarter. And, Agree. Um, you know, came out on top because of it. Yeah. Um, also, Los Angeles professional teams, all four of um, uh, of the major sports, they've won championships in the last eight years. Wow. Um, so that's something going back to the Kings winning it in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And then, um, yeah, Lakers, of course, in the, in the lockout year. Uh, and then the Dodgers recently as mm-hmm. well. So, lots yeah, of there. interesting statistics being shared. Uh, I think I got this right. They said the last sixteen quarterbacks mm-hmm. to make it to the Super Bowl in their second year and lose <laughs> yes. never made it back again. Oh yeah, I do know about Marino. Like he's the most Marino, famous one. Cam, Jake Delhomme. Oh yeah, uh, and the, the, I mean, there, there's a lot of them. Um, wow. Um, so as there was, we're like, wow. So. Uh, and it would not be surprising if the Bengals have a decent season, but mm-hmm. sort of like maybe get in as the seventh seed and lose in the first round or don't make the playoffs next year. I mean, the Ravens, you yeah. know, had a had the year from hell this year. And, so, you yeah. know, and imagine if like Russell Wilson is on the Steelers or something <laughs> yeah. like that, you know, it's like that's a different team. Right. Um, but yeah, but hooray. Yeah. And, uh, so, so yeah, there's so much, uh, the silliness of sports media with football and talking yeah. about what will Aaron Rodgers do and is Tom Brady really retired and all right. that kind of stuff. It's so, like, all right, I will put up with all that as long as the product that continues to show up yeah. two to three times a week is exceptional. And it, it, for the most part was. Well, it's that time of year. 
Actually, we should just be doing this every week, really. Uh, but we like to bring on our old friend who used to do the show right before us here on Asheville FM. He's left us for uh, greener pastures, but we like to bring him in as often as we can. It's our old friend, Gary Leonard. Gary, how are you? Hello, hello. Thank you, Scott and Tom, for having me on Run That Back. If you could have me on every week... I don't care what I have going on here in Brooklyn, New York. I don't care what greener pastures I may be existing in. I will make time to be on this show. So yeah. thank you all for having me. And it really depends on what part of Brooklyn, if you're going to call it greener pastures. Yes. <laughs> concrete, concrete pastures, yes. as we like to say. <laughs> um, so... We know that um, you can talk about really any sport. Like if we were to put you on the spot and be like, okay, women's gymnastics, go. You'd be like, okay, yeah, here's my you know, perfectly nuanced <laughs> good take with lots of good ideas and funny things like that. Uh, but we're going to be talking with you about the NBA trade deadline um, yes, a little bit later. Yes. Speaking we, of Brooklyn. Yes, we know that you... Uh, uh, you you work the um, work the NBA rumors as much as anybody, uh, but first uh, <laughs> working the sh- the, the Woj bombs, yes. the reports, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, the the Gary bombs. Uh, but uh, we wanted to bring you on there be- on here too because yeah. uh, there was a story that came out in the NFL a few weeks ago. You are um, you are steeped in social justice. Um, and uh, and the ideas about shifting power, and so this yeah. is a a really um, really good topic that we wanted to get your take on. Uh, but just to set the stage, we did talk about it a, a few weeks ago, so I'll keep it short. Uh, but Brian Flores, the um, uh, the coach for the Miami Dolphins, um, former coach, was fired after two winning seasons, didn't make the playoffs. Uh, and then he uh, interviewed at a b- bunch of places. It turned out that there was a sort of mix-up, and it looked like he was not going to get a job. Uh, he already heard that, that the fix was in on another guy named Brian mm-hmm. for the New York Giants. Anyways, just to move all that past, uh, he did not get a head coaching um, job, uh, but he is now suing the NFL and a couple of different teams as part of it. Uh, basically yeah. <laughs> for uh, racial discrimination in their hiring processes. Um, so uh, did I get anything wrong with that summary? No, you, you, you got it all right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of odd in many ways that the, the leaker of the wrong Brian, the Brian DeBall <laughs> versus, uh, versus the Brian Flores was, was uh, Bill Belichick, of all people, to, to be able to leak that one. And there was also in that lawsuit is, um, you know, Brian Flores is, you know, mentioning it. Not only was it kind of a tokenization, kind of a checkbox of some of these organizations that brought him in for interviews, but also, um, you know, unprofessional behavior um, from mm. what he, he stated from the, the Broncos organization, uh, specifically of John Elway um, and his team coming in uh, intoxicated to the interview. So there's a lot to unpack with this. And, you know, like anyone who's working at an organization or a company, as we're talking about, you know, diversity, I, I think the big thing that we want to kind of start talking about is going, what is the beyond diversity Mm. and going towards equity and inclusion, right? Like, what does it mean for, you know, an organization or a company or something, you know, as big of an entity as the NFL to really try and model those who comprise of coaches, of general managers, of owners to be representative of the players, which at this point is 70% black, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're looking at this kind of this, this disparity 
this racialized disparity. And, you know, to kind of like pull it back here a little bit, you know, uh, with a lot of these interviews that uh, Brian Flores went through, really, it was in place because of the Rooney Rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rooney Rule was in place because there was a lack of, you know, black and, and folks of color coaches that were getting even opportunities. And so they put that rule in place literally to, to encourage organizations and teams to start hiring. The problem with that is when you don't have a structure, both within the NFL and its leadership, but also within the teams and who is running a team, Mm. you know, there are 32 white owners, white like men who own these teams. And most of their front office is very reflective of, of white men that look like them. And there's also, you know, the, the old boy network of, you know, these are a lot of like people who are, you know, went to the same school, went to the same company. So they're all kind of buddy, buddy is the issue that you have with that is that the Rooney rule just becomes a, checking of a box Mm. and so really what brian flores is doing here is saying like i have i have cases i have specific examples of both the interview process as well as the support that i had when i was a head coach with a winning record at the miami dolphins that i was not given the same opportunities or the same leverage or the same you know um the same kind of uh leeway that my white counterparts have in similar situations. And he has very specific things. But, you know, what we are talking about, you know, sadly, for all of us who are, you know, fans of the NFL that have some type of analysis in terms of what is happening, is that you're talking about really deeply systemic and structural racism that exists within our society. And you talk about a microcosm that is the NFL of everything that is really representative of kind of this racial disparity. And you're seeing that happen. And, you know, Brian Flores dropped that lawsuit on the first day of Black History Month, right? Like, yeah. so you talk about a bombshell, and, you know, there's going to have a lot of ripple effects. You know, no one obviously knows how this is going to go out, but I just thought, and I, I want to open it up to you all, but I just thought it was so telling that the day, hours after Brian Flores, you know, dropped that lawsuit, that the NFLPA came out, and they not only denounced that, but they said it was without merit. How can you say something is without merit without actually right. looking into it, right? They're so dismissive of that. And then, you know, I, I try to avoid going into, like, you know, Twitter and the comment section, but you just see so many people that are so dismissive of these claims when, you know, what we're talking about when it comes to equity and inclusion is like, why don't we listen to the folks of color that may have a different experience in terms of being able to expand, you know, how we're thinking about our operations. And also I think there's a disconnect that's happening, how we can shift away from just a checking of the box. And we're not just talking about the NFL here. We're talking about, you know, like government agencies. We're talking about employers in Asheville and elsewhere of how do we go beyond checking a box and how do we integrate a culture that actually supports the hiring of folks that are not white? How does it go beyond hiring, you know, uh, women candidates, et cetera? What are we doing within our culture and our work environment that sets them up with success? What are we doing that allows us to recognize that, you know, hiring folks that are not white men will actually have positive impacts for everything that we're doing? And so I think you're just seeing um, a lot of that right now. I I wanted to throw this uh, by you, Gary. The... um uh, th- so there's this book called uh, The Sum of Us, this Heather McGee book. Mm-hmm. Did you read that book? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, so she's basically in that book sort of says like racism in America is like a zero sum game. And like the sort of classic example that she gave was like, you know, like Birmingham in the in the 60s, they were forced to integrate their pool. So rather than do that. 
they just destroyed the pool, you know, and they're yeah. like, well, nobody yeah. gets a pool, you know. And so for me, it like in thinking about this, that like, you know, you're um, so the the fans of the NFL teams are losing out on opportunities if you're only giving you know, white coaches an opportunity to coach your team, right? And so that's been the big thing that he also said in his lawsuit that, you know, black men haven't been afforded the same opportunity, not only the hiring, but just like, you know, like Steve Wilkes lasted a year with the Cardinals. He had a miserable year. It wasn't great. But it's not like Cliff Kingsbury, his white replacement, has done all that much better, you know? Like, they've even had better personnel. They still haven't made the playoffs. He's still there after three years. So, you know, it's just that, like, uh, there's just a sort of quicker trigger, you know, pardon the metaphor, um, with 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 firing a, a, a black coaches. Um, and, and, and to, to add to that really quickly, I mean, like, when Urban Meyer got hired on as the Jags coach, one of his first hires was Chris Doyle, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, a, a coach that was fired from the university, a strength and conditioning coach that was fired from the University of Iowa for, for racial bullying. And you're telling me that this person deserves an opportunity for, you know, a high paying salary at, at for an NFL team more so than another candidate, right? And it just like it, it just baffles me, right? Because like what we are talking about at the end of the day is that like you're telling me that like you don't want to look for a Mike Tomlin. You're telling right. me that you don't want you know a coach that is actually reflective and has a similar perhaps lived experience of the players on the field. You're telling me that like the only candidates that are really quote unquote qualified are white male coaches. And so it, it just, again, goes back to this whole idea of, you know, this Rooney rule, it was flawed from the jump because you are really trying to create a system that is ultimately going to be a checkbox for a lot of the people that are making up these hiring committees. Do you think there's a lot of folks of color that are in these hiring committees? Right. You know, like absolutely not. And so like, you're just asking them to check a box. And then also when you have a lot of these people who come from not only privilege, but this old boy network within the NFL, this fraternity of people who have known each other since their college and high school playing days, they're going to stick together and they're going to hire people whom are they're familiar with. They're going to hire people who look like them. They're going to hire people that like that can relate to them on different levels. And for the NFL and for us as a society to be able to move past, you know, what is kind of this tokenized way that we're trying to fix this like diversity issue is just going be is having, needing to go beyond this idea that like putting folks of color is going to change it. There has to also be a real recognition by those who are in positions of power. And I'm thinking about like specifically owners, these billionaire owners, we have to recognize that for a, like opportunity and pathways looks differently for different people. So what are you doing to create these pathways for, for, folks of color to get hired in these high profile positions because you know the argument that always happens like everyone has an equal opportunity for this the most qualified person you know gets job that's not true for like for the the person who's the most qualified they've had this this roadmap to be able to get where they have what are you doing to actually recognize the historical barriers that exist what are you doing to recognize the inequities that show up what are you doing to recognize what a person needed to overcome to be able to get where he is and you're just not seeing enough of that which is, you know, this whole Brian Flores, there's so many layers to it, you know, like going back to even 
why Colin Kaepernick was even kneeling. And so you're starting to see like the layers and layers and layers. And, and I hope, you know, for me with the NFL and like, they have this whole, like, you know, it takes all of us to end racism campaign. It's painted in the back of the end zone. It's like, if the NFL is really truly about this and they want their halftime performance, you know, to be a bunch of like, you know, rappers and folks of color. And they're really trying to kind of like fix quote unquote, fix this issue. It has to happen internally. It doesn't happen with these these check boxes. It doesn't happen with these these tokenized hires. It doesn't happen with these like you know these shallow things that they're doing towards quote unquote diversity. It actually happens to kind of dismantle you know what is what we're seeing now, unfortunately, with you know the Washington Commanders and the and the the settlement that happened with the Cowboys. You're dealing with really toxic. Uh, organizational culture from the jump that you have to dismantle from the inside. And that takes a lot of work. And I think you're seeing that play out, you know, in really kind of insidious and gross ways. And unfortunately, you know, it impacts, you know, really qualified people like Brian Flores. So Gary, we just got a few minutes left on this. So that's my question for you, uh, because when you do come back to it, uh, the owners are not doing anything illegal. They are, you know, they're, you know, they're, uh, you would wish that they would, uh, make different choices um but what what other than trying to force owners hands to make the right decision uh what do you suggest else could be done i know one thing recently is they are uh, as the broncos are being sold they're really trying to encourage some um you know uh, black owners uh they've reached out to byron allen the entertainer and entrepreneur mm-hmm. yeah. they're like hey yeah. w- would you consider this so uh, that seems to be an active thing but um that's the thing is like, you know, so what else can you do to encourage rather than shame? You know, mm-hmm. I'll think about I'll think about uh, my former hometown, Asheville. Um, the city of Asheville created the equity office. I think the NFL could really benefit from having an entity within its institution that is really dedicated to looking at the advancement of folks of color within, you know, NFL teams that is looking at hiring practices that is looking to, you know, create really equitable um, you know, cultures within the NFL and, and really offering a lot of um, education. You know, you know this, this everything that we're talking about, you know, I do want to give some assuming positive intent for a lot of these owners and a lot of the folks that are, you know, the John Elways and uh, the, the Stephen Rosses and the other folks that are, uh, you know, in this. I, I want to assume that there, you know, maybe, you know, there's not all malice here that these aren't actively racist individuals, that some of it is just a lack of understanding. Some of it is just a lack of analysis in terms of what we are actually talking about in terms of why it actually makes a lot of sense to, to reach beyond the choir in terms of who you're bringing into your organization, how the Jason Wrights of the Washington Commanders can really, you know, um, do a lot for an organization, how Mike Tomlin, you know, one of the winningest coaches like at Pittsburgh, what he's done there. I think the NFL, in terms of, instead of kind of doing these these box checking and these like kind of like very short term things that are really kind of like uh, pandering and, and not actually getting to the root issue is that they should I think they could if they were to create some actual person that was dedicated to this instead of asking these very owners that are perpetuating a lot of these things I think that could perhaps go a long way but until we see a real commitment from uh, Goodell, until we see a real commitment from the NFLPA, until we see a real commitment with the owners. Uh, sadly, I think a lot of cases uh, like Brian Flores and other coaches um, will continue to be the norm uh, with the NFL because, um, as I mentioned at the top, I think the NFL is, is, is no more than a massive capitalistic microcosm to everything else that we're kind of navigating here in terms of, you know, 
dealing with structural racism um, that has, you know, really uh, plagued this country from the jump and only continues to kind of like morph in different ways uh, today. Uh, we got to go to a musical break. It, it is somewhat ironic that the Miami Dolphins ended up uh, hiring Mike McConnell, I believe is his mm-hmm. name, um, who literally looks like an intern. He was like this. Yeah. He looks so young. He's just like this, like young, skinny white guy. It was like I'm gonna coach the Dolphins. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so he, he uh, actually is biracial, right? Yes, yeah. I, I do want to say that. Yes. <laughs> did, did you all have a chance? I know we gotta we gotta cut this, but uh, Mike McDaniel, who was hired by the Dolphins. He gave a really questionable um, response in terms of his uh, his racial background. Yeah, um, it was it was really interesting. Kind of, he referred to himself. He's like, people want to you know put me in a box in yes. terms of my race. I'm I'm a human. And then he followed up being like, but my dad's black, right? So yeah. I, I think like as a whole, I, I think all of us, right? Like no one's exempt from this. We're all learning. I just think you know the NFL and those who are in real positions of power and influence could really benefit from having a better understanding in terms of what we're talking about with diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're shifting over to the NBA, more off the court stuff, but it's mostly about (laughs) trade deadline. Um, So we saw, (coughs) excuse me, there was a, a lot of activity at this trade deadline. So, so many, so many woosh bombs. I, could, I couldn't handle it. I know. And I was like driving to the airport to pick up my sister and brother-in-law and being like, okay, is this an okay part of the road that I can refresh Woj's <laughs> Twitter feed just to get some of this yeah. stuff? I, I went down into my Woj bunker. Yeah, it was that yeah. bad. Yes. <laughs> um, so why don't we start? I, I want to get the... Um, to as much as we can. Um, so, Gary, let's uh, let's just start with the biggie. Uh, the the James Harden from Brooklyn to the Sixers for Ben Simmons, uh, yeah. Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, yeah. and a whole lot of picks got traded back and forth. Uh, Gary, just make some sense of this. What do you what do you think after you know all this stuff has been rumored? They've been talking about potential Ben Simmons trades for months, literally oh months. And it finally actually happened. So after the dust settles, what do you think about these teams who just traded one superstar and some really big players within their to another team in their own division? I mean, can truly any of us actually make sense of, of, of this trade and, and how it's playing out? I can certainly try, but I, I, I'm like you. I remember I was I was having a really busy workday with deadlines, and I couldn't stop looking at my phone because of the amount of trades that were happening. And the big one happened. And I think to, to start, um, I, I think in a weird way, I think it's potentially a win-win for both teams, right? Hear me out. I think for the Sixers end, you know, you have a player in Ben Simmons who, you know, whose value greatly diminished um, after, you know, his infamous, like, not going for the layup in the playoffs, going for the pass, uh, Matisse Seibel, and then, you know, them not scoring the points and eventually getting bounced out by the Hawks last last year in the playoffs. And so you have a player who did not play a single game for you, not a minute, and you were able to turn that around for what is, you know, you know, top 15 you know, player in the league and James Harden. And we're going to go, we'll go into a little bit in terms of like James Harden and how he's been performing. But that in itself is a big win. And I also think, you know, like Daryl Morey, the GM for the Sixers, gets a lot of crap in terms of, you know, uh, the sunk cost of it all. You know, there are a lot of people that were saying, you know, he should have traded Ben Simmons for Harrison Barnes, you know, you know, some draft picks, like anything. You can't waste, 
an MVP season from Joel Embiid. You need to act on this. But he held his cards tight. Yeah. And he held not only his cards tight, but a card that a lot of people can argue value greatly diminished. And somehow he was able to hold it to the very end, hours before the deadline. And he was also able to recognize that he had a leverage play with the Brooklyn Nets, who a player who clearly didn't want to play with the sage god himself, didn't want to play with <laughs> someone who was not vaccinated that could only play in away games for the Nets. And he wanted to get out of there. So he was actually able to flip a player along, obviously, with with Seth Curry and Andre Drummond for a perennial all-star, you know, all-NBA, all-NBA player. So I think that in and of itself, I think the Sixers in what is a stacked East is a huge win. On the other side of things, I think the Nets, for what they were having to deal with, like kudos to Sean Marks and Steve Nash for having to coach that team. Yeah. With James Harden with Kyrie and then like a hobbled KD, like unbelievable. But, you know, it was really clear if anyone is, um, you know, good at reading body language the last like couple weeks of James Harden, like he was coasting, you know, like mm-hmm. he wasn't, he was putting no effort on defense and like, you know, he was coming out saying he was happy in Brooklyn, but I think all of us could read the, the Kyrie tea leaves that he was no longer happy in Brooklyn. And so it was only a matter of time. And he actually had a buyout um, option at the end of the season. And there were a lot of rumors that he was going to, you know, join up with his, his, his favorite GM buddy and Daryl Morey. And so the Nets had the, had the option of losing Harden for nothing, moving him at the deadline. And I actually think, you know, what they got in, in Ben Simmons, and mind you, like, we haven't seen Ben Simmons play in almost 10 months. Mm-hmm. But for what we can remember, we're talking about one of the most versatile defenders in the entire league. You're talking about someone that you pair next to Ben Simmons. A lot of people are saying Ben Simmons' best position could be at, you know, power forward, swing forward, point forward where you can have him just focus on defense and you have these two ultra-offensive superstars in KD and Kyrie, that potentially is a huge fit. And, like, also I'll say this in terms of Brooklyn, like, not everyone really cares about the Brooklyn Nets here in New York. Like, New York is a big media town, but a lot of the spotlight is on the Knicks. So I think, you know, in terms of some of the best landing spots that, like, uh, Ben Simmons could have ended up, like, I couldn't really think of one better than the Nets. And so for the Nets, they gave up a lot to get Harden in the first place. They gave up Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, I think four first-round picks. For them to get two first-round picks, two really solid role players in Drummond and Curry, mm-hmm. and then get Simmons, who was also going to you know, uh, help them out in the long run, I actually think in, in a weird way, um, I think it's a win-win for both teams as best as they could have done with what they were given and it's setting up for what is just going to be an incredible Eastern conference playoffs. Like, like I can't even imagine how this is all going to shake out. It sure should be Uh, Yeah. As a just fan of basketball, I hope it results in both teams just being more awesome. Yeah. Um, But it is hard to see Ben Simmons sort of like, I don't want to play and sort of gets rewarded for that. And then James Harden yet again, sort of like, um, Kind of just, well, I don't want to be here anymore. So all of a sudden, I have hamstring tightness, um, which yeah. is now my new official thing. If ever like someone calls and it's, there's like an event I don't want to go to, I'm gonna be like, oh, hamstrings are a little tight. Don't think I'm gonna make that tonight. Got a little of the hamstring tightness. I can't put away the clean dishes tonight. Little, <laughs> little hamstring, yeah, yeah, hammies are a little hamstring tight. Hamstring tightness. So trade me to another family. <laughs> yeah, I think I think as a league. You know, the the NBA is at a really interesting point. Um, You know, for us as fans, like having 20 trades with a deadline and having Woj bomb after Woj bomb and, and, you know, Shams bomb is is so exciting for us fans. So much fun. But in terms of like, in terms of like player, player empowerment, I'm all here for it. But you are talking at the end of the day, 
a player who's, who forced himself out of two franchises in less than a year yeah. over two seasons, right? And so at some point, you're going to have to kind of think about, like, is this actually – like, is this what we want to be as an association, as a league, where player empowerment where could mean something as Harden no longer likes playing with Kyrie or doesn't want to play for the Nets or doesn't like living in Brooklyn, and he could just go ahead and, like, force his way out. So that's obviously for a bigger a bigger conversation in terms of, like, the, the league as a whole. But as a fan, it is, it is surely very exciting to, to, to watch it all unfold. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. KD, Kyrie, and James Harden played all of 16 games together. Um, that's games. that's what all of that meant. Um, so uh, we've only got a couple minutes left with you, Gary. What was the weirdest deal that you saw at the deadline? Like, what was the one that you were like, uh, really, this is what's happening? Are you kidding me? My my team, the Washington yes. Wizards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, the the wildest. So can I just, I need to get, get a little granular like, here for a second. We signed Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, on a decent-sized contract this season after a torn ACL in Brooklyn, and he wanted all of his money in crypto. Right. We were able to move crypto contract Spencer Dinwiddie to the king of crypto, uh, to Mark Cuban's Dallas Mavs, <laughs> and we also were able to shed a huge contract in Davis Bertans um, after he had a uh, he had a huge season two seasons ago, um, just like, you know, putting up wild three-point numbers and we were able to flip them for the unicorn um so for those who are really into fantasy the unicorn is a wizard um and i think just like for uh, what that that's means, christoph short, porzingis yeah, christoph porzingis, yeah. porzingis. <laughs> porzingis um, so in terms of short term and long term i i think short term for the mavs um really weird um you basically <laughs> were at a sunk cost you were like we 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 gave a lot up for christoph porzingis we were basically shaping our entire team and roster construction around these two transcendent talents and Donchets and Porzingis to basically giving him giving Porzingis up for two really bad contracts. So I think that says a lot in terms of what the maps thought about Porzingis. And yeah. there were a lot of rumors in terms of Donchets and Porzingis actually just not liking each other. There was even rumors about those two getting in like fist fights in the locker room. And I think for the Wizards it's also a really weird one because um Porzingis has not played yet for the Wizards, and if I'm being honest, I don't think he plays this season. Wow! So you have your you have your superstar in Bradley Beal, um, who has wrist uh, who had um, uh, wrist surgery, so he's going to miss the entire season. And wh- what are you playing for? I-, I think this was the Wizards' way of getting rid of both two bad contracts and two decent players for a player who has potential to be an All Star but also be able to like have him just basically sit out this season and run it back next season with Bradley Beal, run that back. A healthy Porzingis, run it back, and uh, maybe a higher draft pick. Um, so it, it's just weird, and when it came across my timeline, I couldn't wrap my head around it, but as a Wizards fan, as I've actually had a chance to think about it, I think they actually did well in terms of Porzingis is a bad contract, but you had two bad contracts that you got rid of, and then you have one monster bad contract, but I think the potential, the fit, um, one more thing, I think Wes Unsell Jr. coming from the Dallas Mavericks, I am, I am certainly not comparing Porzingis to jo- uh, Jokic, but you know, a similar kind of big man who has versatility uh, on the offensive end in terms of uh, being a floor spacer, being a passer. I could see some potential there uh, with a lot of pick and roll with Brad Beal, um, but we'll see. I think it was actually a good move uh, in the long term. I think the Wizards are in full tank mode. But when I saw the trade, it, I, I literally, my jaw dropped, and I, I was just floored by it. So, well, yeah, easily the weirdest trade. Gary, you are uh, you are 
fulfilled potential always with us. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> Takes a fury. Thank, yes. thank you, as always, for having me. It's been, it's been a lot of fun, boys. Thank you. Uh, we've got just a couple of minutes left yeah. before we get to our coffin corner. Um, we, so, so now we have to sort of uh, how do yeah, we fill the void exactly. that's left by the end of football? I know there's the uh, USFLs making another yes. uh, attempt to attempt to attempt. Um, I'll see. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't really followed <laughs> any of the previous versions other than what's that uniform? Yeah, what's that logo? Um, but uh, the Winter Olympics uh, yes. uh, continues on through the, through the end of this weekend. I think we'll maybe spend a little time talking about that uh, next week. Um, of course, we've still got Premier League mm-hmm. and uh, and Champions also, uh, League. Was Champions this week. League started back this this week. Uh, uh, yeah, Man, the, Man City had a lovely. They had five nothing, and maybe even scored more. I don't know. And yeah, and you uh, there. I know you like to shake your fist at the sky with Raheem Sterling. He had an amazing finish. Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys who will who will miss the layup, but then hit the amazing, yes. like, uh, 360 three-pointer in some way. Yeah. And then really interesting, uh, you had uh, uh, Paris Saint-Germain against mm-hmm. Real Madrid, mm-hmm. and uh, with, you know, uh, Messi playing against one of the, the, the Spanish League teams, and Mbappe had an incredible goal yes, he did. Uh, in extra time. It was 0-0. You're like, how are they going to end up tying this game? Um, but nope, squeezes through and has an amazing goal with, like, you know, 20 seconds left to go. Somehow I figured out that my dentist is a big soccer fan. Uh, and I think he's younger than me. Mm-hmm. I'm now getting to that age where I'm like, oh, my dentists are younger than me. But uh, so now he, like I walked in, this was on Tuesday, and uh, and he was like, oh, hey, you're back. And he's like, Real Madrid's uh, just kicked off. It's nothing, nothing. And I was like, oh, thank you. Uh, this is what I want at the dentist. Thanks for listening to Run That Back. We'll see you next week.